I will apologize to the general listening public for the fact that I'm a little out of sorts today. Uh, I have gotten used to taking uh, Melissa to work, and so every morning I am gaily greeted by the green-handed mayor of... Uh, where Where am I passing? Which high school is it? Who am I? What's going <laughs> on? <laughs> Nixon's still president. I think Nixon is, uh, you know, at least still knocking around in my head somewhere. In my, uh, the eleven twenty two sixty three of it all. Uh <laughs> So the 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 mayor of Tigard, uh, as I have dubbed him, uh, every morning as we pass the Tigard High School, there is always this older gentleman who has these neon green gloves that he wears, and he waves at every car that passes and every person that he encounters. So he's either cruising for high school girls, which I suspect, or he is running for some sort of public office, and he's trying to get as much adulation in the, in the voting public. Because he does. He stops and very wildly gesticulates, like as though he were a street performer trying huh. to you know hail people. But he will turn around and face the other direction. He walks backwards and waves, and he waves at every car that passes by. So uh, I have somewhat... Uh, well... I don't want to. My brain, as I said, I am. I'm not in. I'm not in contact with the mothership these days. Uh, I'm. I'm trying to be effectual with him when I say that he is now the mayor of Tigard. So we always chuckle. Well, you want to stay on his good side, so that the one day when he finally flips the switch, there, he's like, oh. I remember you. You were the nice one. You mm-hmm. can go. <laughs> and see, the reason that I say this is not because of the Walking Dead parallel that you just threw at me, but because you also these days are, are rubbing elbows and uh, hobnobbing <laughs> with mayors yourself <laughs> and other holders of public office. So I want to try to be as important as you, but I simply wave to the mayor. I don't have conversations. Uh, I see. You are referencing my misplaced. You know what? I should have taken advantage of the unsend. Should have, but then it, but then it says unsent. So I figured, well, I should just explain. Uh, <laughs> to to summarize, I was sending my girlfriend a message, just saying that I just got to meet the mayor of a very small town, at at this little at the Hampton History Museum, where they were doing a little prohibition exhibit. And I got to talk with him for a couple minutes of a small town. So it's not like oh, me and the mayor, me and you know De Blasio here got to hang out, uh, and mistakenly sent it. To the group in which we are all part of, and uh, and here I am now having to live it down. As has famously been stated on this show, the internet doesn't forget. <laughs> and furthermore, it, it just makes me envision like the Adam West mayor of Quahog. That you know, you were just having a, a conversation with a crazy like cat crazed man. <laughs> like, oh hello, lovely to meet you. I hear you're Doctor Michael. Is it? <laughs> That's a very good impression. Well oh, I thank you, bat friend. I'm a good man. I use my left and right turn indicators in my car, specifically the Batmobile. And uh, it's a wonderful time for all involved. Be safe while you're behind the wheel, friends. Now, Robin, <laughs> to my bat pole. Yes, I, uh, I will think of you when I'm gifted the keys to the city. Oh, well, there are multiples <laughs> all through it. I, I usually it's just a key, comically sized, which I would hate to see the door that that goes to. This is letting some sort of craven creature out from some giant cavern somewhere. 
Well, one is the key to the city and the other is the doors to perception, my friend. For your oh, mind. Oh, I prefer the key to your heart. But I was going to I thought he was going to say that too. <laughs> Only oh. in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love and uh murderers who staple dollar bills to hallway walls. Well, Will they do happen? say mimicry is the sincerest form of flattery or something to that effect. And mm-hmm. as you and I are both oh, sitting here that, with our... <laughs> it's like, that's why you're dressing like me these days. Okay. It's intended as flattery. <laughs> hmm. So I should get one of those newsy caps, right? <sighs> I've had We're, mine for many, many years. See, so I, this is the claim now. Are we going to have to start providing like photographic evidence to the first I, documented I can, I can appearance provi- of the I hats? I can provide this. I Cat? have said documented uh, evidence. I, uh, as do I. There are <laughs> photos of me in these out in public at least from 2006 forward. So. Oh, I think I can reach back to 04. I'm pretty sure there's a couple high school oh. pics of me in it. Oh. So, uh, so. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you were just a delight to be around then, if I'm I... hipster. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was that edgy kid that had a trilby. So, uh. Ooh. Yeah. I actually just gave those away a couple weeks ago because they've been collecting dust for the last five, six years, thankfully so. What a sad state of affairs that is. Did you at I least feed your Digimon? No. <laughs> I always played Pokemon, thank you. Though I did collect Digimon cards because soft play, or you know, a soft spot in my heart uh, for for the original Digimon movie. You know, considering that was my first soundtrack, first album, and all that. Yeah, yeah. I always think of these as just like you know, someone speaking with a very heavy Jamaican accent. <laughs> Every time I heard them, I was always like, "Oh, really? I didn't know you were from the islands." Yes. <laughs> go and go play with your Digimon. You go to pick up your Pokemon. You go to take them down. You go to train them. Because if you don't train them, you're never going to win the fight when you're having it. <laughs> you can't see the eyes of the demon until him come calling. <laughs> and so hats off to our prior conversation and uh, my marvelous accents for this week is how I'm going to compensate for my lack of verbal dexterity but I can say now that we've gotten through that by the eternal behold, behold. it is the disinformed podcast I'm Shane and I'm and Michael, I'm Michael. <laughs> all right we're back on that shit train again good but uh i have to issue apologies because i was read the riot act by several individuals of the four people that are still listening to the show i was uh very sorely chastened for not having contributed intros to the two subsequent episodes after i fled into oh, the night man. i can't even imagine what people said about my my intro for part three uh, uh part three i got um in one particular <laughs> text which i was very delighted by it was just somebody that put um in big quotes i was like yeah he's his, he's the editor he could take that out he didn't need to have an um in the intro and he did it anyway god bless him so uh it was a little jarring when your voice hops in at the end Shane. that's what i heard yes that was the the main criticism is they're like like a thief in the night you haven't said a word for an hour and a half and then all of a sudden it's like and that's gonna wrap it up it's like i'm just sponsoring the podcast now i'm not actually a contributor i know when to get out but uh you know it was a it was a fun time i'm glad i uh jokingly had said i'd gotten melissa we'd had dinner 
and then we had finished up, but I had left everything configured. I didn't tear down because I needed to rush out the door to go get her. And so when I came back in, I jokingly was like, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll see what's happening. And so I hit the link and you were still on. Yep. I All of you were still you chatting for, and for I'm a like, quick second oh, and you fuck. noped out of there. Yeah. I, I was like, too. I was like, I don't want to interrupt because one, it would be even weirder if I just disappeared <laughs> for a chunk. It's like, you've been talking for three hours and then my ass is just like, oh, well, since well, you're still here. Might have uh, fitted in with the, the closing at least because it's like, oh, Shane has been around. He's just been quiet as opposed yeah. to. <laughs> it's like a babe in the woods. I just amble into, okay, now this is whether any of this stuff is bullshit. It's like, I have no idea. I wouldn't be able to tell you regardless, but my brother was uh, the one who should have been contributing because he is a, uh, a certified DM and uh, very keen on it. He probably has, as I've mentioned to Jess before, he's got more dice than she does. And uh, there's a pretty sincere. My brother has got the same problems that I do with uh, collecting. As you can tell from the nonsense behind me, but his is a little bit more dastardly. I don't think he would mind me saying, but we've had a running joke now. He has bought enough soap that I'm fairly certain he could start an elephant refuge and clean all of them if it was not human grade soap. He has, he has a, an entire closet and most of his bathroom that is dedicated to the volume of soap that he has gotten into. Yeah, he's got, like we all have compulsions. Or... Yes, like bar, like, uh, the actual boutique soap that yeah, people sell. Gonna... Like he got every Dr. Squatch scent that you can get. And then he's running through like a laundry list of all of these sites that he's gone to. And so he's starting a YouTube channel, which I may or may not be <laughs> taking part in, uh, where he is just going to do reviews of the various scents that he has purchased and, uh, since I have been making my own beard oil, he and I have been talking about doing that as a side hustle as well so that we can start manufacturing things. But And then uh, as a further side hustle, there'll be an OnlyFans page where you then get to see you use the soap. In real time. If, <laughs> if people want to watch me scrub my face, that's fine. I think anything beyond what is in the Brady Bunch box that you're seeing right now is not going to get me any money. It might get me flagged or thrown into a Turkish prison, but I don't think anybody's going to be clamoring to give me money to see what's at, what's hiding under the clothes here. <laughs> the goodie box is not open for business. But uh, yeah, so... Uh, you gentlemen will be able to tell me uh, how much of the last couple weeks discussion was just completely debunked by the material since uh, Michael had to include caveats of things that were stated in this conversation may be completely inaccurate as of date of publication. Um, I would say probably about 90%. Oh, I'd say most even of more it, than that because they just yeah. retroactively said, you know, the old one stay in there and you can choose which one. Take back. Yeah, yeah, I mean, effectively, there is no change since they're releasing the new one, but saying, hey, the old one's still going to be fine, and your choice, whichever one you want. It is a fun little time capsule, though, for, you know, mm-hmm. the, the chaos writ large that was occurring at that moment, and we can all go back and say, hey, you remember when they made that really ill-informed decision to revoke everybody's prior access? Well, I just really loved uh, Jess's passion about it. That was... That's what was entertaining to me. So even as like the, aside from the time capsule that you were talking about, mm-hmm. it's neat just to see somebody that, you know, discusses something that they're passionate about. Yeah. She is probably the most dedicated, uh, dungeoner 
<laughs> that I have ever encountered <laughs> in the course of my life is my, my brother flirts with it, but he mostly likes to utilize it as like a family activity. So everybody coalesces around theirs. And it's a little more family friendly. Mm-hmm. But speaking of which, yeah, they played gloom with me once and I disabused them all of the, of the notion. Cause I had someone who was uh, gender swapping in the course of my storytelling and I made a bunch of people very uncomfortable because no one wanted to have that discussion at the table in front of my, at that time, like preteen nieces that people have, you know, uh, <laughs> there's a spectrum out there and I don't think anybody was keen on me being the one to give them that talk. <laughs> so yeah that's i'm i'm always hep for segues or transitions if you will transition very nice but uh so for the uninitiated amongst you because i assume we have a topic uh since michael came in hot here uh complete with a sauvignon blanc that he is just delicately sipping now Mm. what or is that a cold brew oh me i thought you were talking about Doc here. No, I'm drinking. Oh a beer. man, yeah. Don't let's don't let's start having the name <laughs> game on this. I have tried to make very clear lines of demarcation that if I say Michael, I'm referring to you. And and <laughs> since this is version 2.0 as dedicated here, and he has a title, he will be Doc or Doctor Michael or the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Or if you're a fan of the Burbs, I can say my brother. Brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in my uh in, in the um kind of distance gaming group that I get together with on the weekend, uh, one of my friends is also named Michael. So usually in that group he's Mr. Michael, I'm Dr. Michael. And that's typically what I've gone with here where I also refer to you as Mr. Michael. Uh True. Just for the easy demarcation of the two. Uh-huh. And you can just call me Mr. Mister. <laughs> <laughs> the Mista Mista lady was chasing me, but uh, so in any event, for the uninitiated amongst you who have not listened to this show ever, welcome. It's lovely to see you. Grab a muffin, sit down. We're very friendly here. But uh, what we typically do is we delve into random esoteric topics, and in the course of explaining them to one another, we lie occasionally. That is the fun of the show. It is supposed to be entertaining, but, you know, results may vary dependent upon, you know, the randomness of the evening or whether or not I'm effectively nailing transitions. And so, based on that, I will say, however, that we do not let you leave disinformed. No, no, no. There's a denouement at the end of the episode. We explained what we lied about and why in the hopes that we can edumacate you slightly. So what are we chatting about this evening, gentlemen? Well, uh, tonight you will have to go easy with me, Daddy, there, because you're going to be popping my cherry on presentations. Uh, Ooh! (laughs) It's a delicate pun. Mm. (laughs) Yes. uh, To begin with, uh, before we get into the topic itself, I will just preface that, uh, so I don't forget, that this evening we're going back to the classic format. Indeed. Long-time listener, first-time caller. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Uh, For those tuning in in the last little while, we haven't uh, done a classic format show here, so uh, we're taking it back, swinging to the oldies, if you will. <laughs> you, and, uh, uh, thank you for making me feel both geriatric and make me think of Clerks 2 all in one fell swoop. I'm, I'm taking so, it back. <laughs> so tonight there's five lies. Also, <gasps> along the five lies, I will go ahead and throw out as an homage to some of the former episodes, I will go ahead and state up front 
that of those five lies, one of them is a number lie. Oh, you sorry (laughs) son of a... But I will state that the number lie should be remarkably easy to catch, Mm, especially for Michael. And Famous last the words. Hat. Incredibly doubtful. Yes. <laughs> so, so they haven't sold 12 billion <laughs> records in totality is what you're saying. <laughs> so uh, what originally got me into. <laughs> yes, I'm going to ignore that. <laughs> well, I'm not. <laughs> so uh, what originally got me into this podcast was. Uh, not our skill it, or it, entertainment value. No, it was in search of a particular topic. Uh, which I was lied to by the episode name, making me think that that would be here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out it wasn't. So I thought, well, what the hell? I'll contribute it myself. So, gentlemen, brush off your white teeth and black thoughts. Throw on your zoot suits. Hop into your Rapid City muscle car or your Soul Cadillac, because it's time to get ferociously stoned, swing by and pick up the kids on the street, and live the bigger life. Tonight, we are talking about the Cherry Poppin' Daddies. So, in case you didn't know, Michael, there were 17 song titles in the course of that <laughs> I, one sentence. I figured as much. Allow I me figured. to explain the joke to you. Okay. Just so you okay. feel at home for once. All right. Incorrect. I belong. Incorrect. There were no song titles. There were, however, album the album titles, titles of Blair. every of every album of theirs, except for the compilation albums. So, all all original album titles. Uh, or album titles of their originals. I mean, technically, every album is a compilation. Let's just... Well, yes, but you know what I meant. <laughs> I do, but see, if we're splitting hairs, we're going to be bald real quick. You got me by my short and curlies. I got I you. already beat you to bald, so I'm not sure we're going to get any <laughs> well, further Well, neither of us route. will know with these lovely hats. Uh, yeah, I should have worn a fedora were... tonight. I was going to say, for those, I don't think it would have worked with the headphones, but uh, for those who are just purely on the audio medium, we're going to note here that Doc is uh, being accused of gimmick infringement because he came on with both my my glasses and my hat this evening. Well, you never wear your glasses, so I wouldn't have known. So, yes, now we've decided I'm just we're going to do the world's worst version <laughs> of us playing Guess Who right now. Does he have glasses? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh oh! Well, <laughs> so as I said tonight, we're talking about the Cherry Pop and Daddies. Now, if you will recall, episode sixty-nine of the Disinformed Podcast was about the Cherry Pop and Daddies. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was about the Utah Monolith because I was not creative and I couldn't come up with a good a good one for uh-huh. episode sixty-nine. And it's nice. a regret I live to this day. Ding, ding, it. ding. We have a winner. I told oh, you the oh. episode, uh, the number lie, rather, would be remarkably easy to catch. Well, bless you within the first minute of the episode there. Well done. Correct. It was, well, and it was an homage to you guys. I thought I'd throw out the episode number. It was, in fact, episode 80. <laughs> you you so, didn't want to say that Berlin is a, a city in Russia? <laughs> yes. You didn't want to be that easy. Yes. I, well, I thought if I was going to throw a number lie in, since we've, I especially have rallied against them so heavily, uh-huh. I thought, well, what the hell? I'm going to, you know, my, my first at bat here, I'll throw in a number lie and I'll have it be an episode number of the Disinformed Podcast, which is, I thought, A, 69 should be remarkably low hanging fruit in general, but also, uh, given awesome. Mr. Michael's, uh, you know, editing and all that. And, and I know that the, uh, the episode number of 69 would probably jump into his head of, no, it was about, and it did. So, 
Because it's a regret I live with to this day. (laughs) Not just starting the show, which should be the regret he's actually living with. Oh, that is the main regret. I have many regrets. No regrets. So, as I said, you uh, two are, in fact, popping my... uh, cherry here when it comes to podcast uh, <laughs> hosting. <laughs> not a metaphor I want to keep living with. Can we? And he's so, like, oh no, uh, this is every other paragraph of that's, popping. That's right. That's right. Well, basically I was just throwing that out there because uh, with limited experience on this, I will say that uh, I have broken this down into three sections. Now, whether or not those three sections are in fact three parters, which I think they might be, or, uh, but having not done this myself before, I don't mm. really know how quickly one plows through the material gathered. Not very. So, yeah. So I, <laughs> I figured it could, it could be either uh, three parts or a single episode that is just three acts or just a horribly disjointed two-parter. <laughs> And yet again, a, you, a podcast brought to you by academics. Yes. I have my introductory paragraph, and then I have the body of the entire text, and then my summary paragraph, and then we're not, we're done. <laughs> so, I thought to discuss the Cherry Pop and Daddies, who happen to be my, one of my favorite bands. One uh, of? I thought well, they were the Apex, the I Ching. Well, yes, but then we've also, you know, talked at length Metallica, and I've mm-hmm. name dropped Reverend Horton Heat and stuff there. But yes, the Cherry Pop and Daddies are, you know, you know the the pinnacle of it. But uh, they're you know. they're your current. I I look at it like the cylinders of a of a revolver. Is I basically have like you know the same seven to eight different bands that I love, and it just depended upon the day something can cycle in. So yeah, yeah I would it say that, varies. that's very. I- yeah, I would say that's very, very, very similar to me, uh, except I'd probably nail it down to like three. There's a solid three that I'll cycle through. And then then I would expand it out to eight of like, oh, if I was naming top 10 bands, here they are. But like the the top, you know, of the mountain are really easy to to peg. Okay. So dirty. The- <laughs> Speaking of popping, popping cherries. cherries. <laughs> that's right. Ooh. Yeah. So, uh, so I thought part one would be the cherry popping babies. <laughs> Since we're starting at their formation. Uh, YouTube, our apologies. that was a jest. Yeah, that was so a jest. Mm. <laughs> <sighs> Parody. Parody. We're also not uh, trafficking in children right now, just so that we know. Uh, Lest the Biden administration come for us as well. Oh, jeez. Well, you know, come on. We're talking about the formation of the band. Yeah, you get it. I, uh, I mean, the baby is what happens once the cherries popped in certain instances. But... <laughs> oh, dear. Touche. Oh, Touche. Oh. Wedding night okay. pregnancy is the uh, non-released Cherry Pop and Daddy's <laughs> album. <laughs> all right. So getting to their formation then. So it all begins... In 1981, so following his high school graduation in 1981, Steve Perry left his hometown of Peoria, Arizona, for Eugene, Oregon, to pursue track and field. And I, I is f- no one important comes from Peoria, Arizona. I'm going to call bullshit. Excuse on that. you. <laughs> you did not grow up in Peoria. I did not. You I lived. was born in 1981, though, so I think there's a weird confluence of nonsense happening here, but. Is Peoria, well, Arizona bullshit? Peoria, Arizona is in fact bullshit. Exactly. And was purposely chosen as a little tip of the hat to y'all. Was it so, Peoria, Illinois? 
Uh, no, it was in oh. fact uh, uh, Binghamton, uh, New York. Binghamton, oh. yeah, Binghamton, 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 random scatting noises. That's New York. Yeah, New York. Correct. Yeah, somewhere in New York. So he's riot. Yes, New York. Binghamton, New York, for Eugene, Oregon. So he leaves New York, goes to Eugene, Oregon, to pursue a track and field and a chemistry degree from the University of Oregon. Wow, those are very disparate things. Yes, yes, exactly. Mixing chemicals while he's... Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of mixing chemicals, yes. Uh, Yeah, no, speaking of which, I, I, I don't know. Have any of you seen the We Need to Talk About Cosby documentary? Uh, oh, no, no, I haven't. Really I fascinating. I, I would absolutely recommend it. It's a Showtime thing. So if you're on a if you're a Paramount Plus, uh, which uh, speaking of which, I finally did watch the offer. And, and? Uh, oh, I loved it. It was fantastic. I, thought you I might, yeah. I can see why Coppola is saying that it is not true to life and says it's a little hyperbolic because he is depicted as being such a diva. But uh, no, it was very entertaining, and I had. I learned a lot from the the course of watching that, and I thought the depictions were really excellent. So thank you for the recommendation. I'm glad I got around to it. Yeah, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Knew it would be right up your alley there. And uh, initially, when I heard the premise of it, I was like, oh, well, that could be entertaining, but it also could be rather dull. I mean, just kind of the behind the scenes of the making of a film. Mm-hmm. But it, but as a whole, it was better than Godfather 3. It was strangely serpentine, and I had no idea the machinations that had to go through. So, uh, Mr. Michael, if you get a, a wild hair, definitely check it out. Okay. You've never seen The Godfather, so you're not going to care, but it's interesting enough. I'll there. have to see if uh, the Cosby bit is going to be on Paramount Plus as well now, because I hear that they're merging. It oh, it is already? Okay. It is, yeah. yeah that's what I watched it through. Okay, yeah, because I know that they're merging show. Kate or Showtime or whatever is now folding in with Paramount. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that means that all of the Showtime streaming stuff is now going to carry over. Does that There's mean Dexter's going to be on there? It That's is. my hope. That's my yes, hope. I, I have been watching. I started the first show of the new season. And oh, okay. okay. So, so it's, so already, it's already, already there. It's already on there. Yes. Oh, oh phenomenal. I, okay. I literally have goosebumps because yes, I'm, I'm excited. Oh. Well, I will tell you, I watched the first like three minutes of it and turned it off. Uh, so. Oh. I again, I move in such strange waves these days that uh, yeah, I well, and three I minutes can't... isn't enough to make a real well, judgment. I Speak mean, for uh, yourself. Yeah, I uh. was gonna say <laughs> no. I, I I know Shane will give it like give it his best effort. Like that's that's how he's always been. He said that before. He has a rule for reading a new book series that he always gives it until like page sixty or so mm. before he actually puts it down. So if it's three minutes. That does not bode well, well at all. Well, I was also just not in the mood at that time. Okay, I think I'd fair. started it under the auspices. I'm waffling a lot these days. Let's not, mm. you know, we won't talk okay, about okay. my my list. I mean, we can. I just don't need to subject you all to a therapy you just session need to here. Fill all your little pockets full of syrup. Uh, I'm just, you know, <laughs> is that a awkward. Canadian phrase or something? No, he said he's waffling. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> For the Canadian who said no one likes maple up in that country, uh, I'm shaking my head. But no, I, I have my entertainment uh, impulses have just been so schizophrenic. Uh, but I am, as of right now, like the one consistent thing I have had, I am 
780 pages into Wolves of the Kala. Not oh. Wolves of the Kala. I'm in Wizard and Glass right now. Sorry. Okay. So, uh, but, so I have burnt through the first three books of the cycle and am working my way almost through the fourth book again. So I will have completed the Dark Tower probably by the time we hit March. Nice. Again, nice. which I needed to. It's it's been a hot minute, but that was my and then I will, you know, return to reading new King material to me so that I can complete the run. But I was in the mood to to reread the Dark Tower since we got into the Salem's lot talk a while back. That's a good point. I, I do want to reread that, but I do want to read uh what was it? Um Lost in Atlantis? Is is that the one? Hearts or? in Atlantis. Hearts. That's what yes. it was. I do want to read that one before I go back. Yes, got to get the low of... men in the yellow coats, yes. Exactly, exactly. Um, you got to know who Ted Brodigan is. It's very important. Mm-hmm. Also, very. they're great stories. Anyway, oh, yeah. not to not to do our usual and, and no, derail no, no. In, I, in its entirely. No, I think I was well. I, I was just thinking myself that I had a... Picked up a several like Kindle, you know, books of Kings there with the hope of getting to read them. But uh, as I told you, gentlemen, there I recently mm-hmm. picked up uh, well one side job and now a second side job, and you know, uh, doing the same sort of thing, and it's just zapped all my bloody time. Like it's, if I was it, if I wasn't on with you guys right now, I'd literally be just reviewing papers. So it's uh, not it's as that, fun. It's that Sigma male grind set, man. You gotta yeah. you gotta just keep it. i'm sorry i couldn't do the bit i couldn't couldn't. you almost had it but no uh Uh. in all honesty though uh we should applaud the fact that you're presenting an episode presently given that context uh so we appreciate the effort to which you've expended to get us a little entertainment here no no truthfully it's uh you know, you were talking about not to use you all, you know, use us as therapy. This is like my little downtime. This and the, the game time, the couple hours that I set aside for the games on Saturday mm. is uh, is my little like de-stress time there. So all's well. I, I'm sure that your girlfriend loves to hear that. Well, you know, when we got a little 16 month old, you know, we don't really get to just hang out and have fun like, you know. Our hands are always full there. So this is my own little time to step away and not have to worry about the little one. Otherwise, Indeed. one of the two of us is chasing after her. See, that's what happens when you pop the cherry. That's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's how you got these babies. <laughs> Damn babies. <laughs> All right. So where we left off, Steve Perry uh-huh. is now in Oregon pursuing his degree at uh, the University of Oregon there. So a punk rock devotee since adolescence, Steve Perry, not of Journey fame. Uh, soon became engrossed in Eugene's underground music scene, where he eventually met and befriended musician and fellow university student Dan Schmidt. Sharing similar musical ambitions and a mutual disinterest in school, the pair agreed to drop out of college together and start a band, forming the punk trio The Jazz Greats in 1983. That sounds like musicians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not necessarily the wisest move, dropping out of college to do the band life, um, but to each their own. And obviously, some people break, make you know manage to be very successful at it, mm-hmm. and then and then others come out with one hit and then disappear for the next twenty years. <laughs> We're not speaking of anybody in particular, but so. The Jazz Greats evolved into a paisley underground styled garage rock group called Saint Huck which lasted from 84 to 1987. Um, and There's a descriptor. Uh, I, I just yeah. to, to take a pause. <laughs> yes. yeah, I, I, I thought you said like pasty and I'm like, oh, I mean, oh. probably not wrong, but <laughs> paisley, paisley. Uh, I know, I know. 
Okay. That's uh, no. There was a venue in in Phoenix uh, I used to play very frequently called the Paisley Violin, which really oh. was our choice as well. So yes, we're we're just fusing all sorts of nonsense, but it's a wonderful descriptor. It's very apt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Saint Huck. Uh, if you go on YouTube, there's just a couple of years ago. Actually, I hadn't even seen them until I was doing the research for this. Um, somebody who was, I guess, in an audience group there back in like '86 or so. Uh, just did filmed a whole bunch of uh, different like shows of performances of St. Huck there. So it's kind of, mm. and it's, it's a very interesting video to watch. It's like an hour long or so. There's like uh, two or three of them that the person uploaded. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting for me because it's like, oh, there's Steve Perry, like a young Steve Perry doing his thing. But also it's a really interesting little like slice of life moment because it's a, it's a full hour and they're just playing in some park. Right. Okay. And the whoever's filming at that time, you know, is obviously, you know, doing the band as well, but then spends a lot of time like turning the camera just to the crowd who's like, you know, enjoying the the show. Oh, and yeah. so it's very interesting just to see these little like snippets of just, you know, young college students hanging out, you know, in 1986 and you hear see them chatting with each other and the clothes they're wearing and and whatnot. It's just a nice little like slice of life moment that you don't get too much of from that period just because not everybody had a camera in their pocket like we do yeah. today. I was oh, going to say point. also audio quality is probably abysmal, but still. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, the, exactly. The audio quality is terrible, uh, but it is very much like what people do nowadays. It, it, somebody pulls out their phone and films the whole thing and turns around, and films the audience. So it's it's very much what we see today, but you don't usually see too much of an 86. So it's kind of neat to watch. Yeah, it's you know you think back to when bootlegging really began, and since there's such a fervor for it within like the Grateful Dead community, you wonder what the catalyst is for all of that starting. That would be an interesting well to go down at some point. Strangely enough, I don't know if either of you use Amazon Music, but there is a weird trend that I've noticed with a lot of stuff, and with Metallica in particular. So you might appreciate this, Doc. There is a real plethora of like live recordings that are suddenly just being lurched into all of the material i'm not sure if this is on every platform but like obviously pearl jam was doing this for years where they were just recording every single show that they did and releasing it but now it's like on uh amazon music right now if you pull it up there's like uh metallica live from some random venue in 1987 and they have a full concert there and then there's multiples there so i'm like alice in chains i pull up they have them live at multiple venues so it's like every prominent band now they've just suddenly unearthed all of this live uh material that they're releasing as albums these days and i don't know if that's exclusive to amazon or if that's just everywhere but it's happening i've noticed it as well but i also have amazon music okay so um, maybe it it is is just amazon yeah it is quite interesting Uh, as a little aside uh a slight annoyance with the amazon music bit there Uh uh-oh uh i you know listen to stuff in my car all the time of course and i've got android auto Mm -hmm. and i wish there was a way to default it to amazon music because if i'm in my car and i say you know Hey Google, play, you know, whatever, the new song by Metallica. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will say, Oh, you need to have YouTube music installed for it, blah, blah, blah. But if I say play Lux Eterna by Metallica on Amazon Music, there it goes. And it, and it's able to do it fine. And I'm like, I sometimes I forget to say on Amazon Music mm-hmm. and then it gives me the little spiel of it. And it's irritating. Well, well, that's I'm because- sorry, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, that, I mean, that's because Google owns YouTube. So they they always like default to their own. Oh no! Of course, stuff. I just yeah, wish that I could it, switch it, or yeah. it would be like you know 
I'm sure it must know like, hey, he doesn't have YouTube music. Let me default to whatever he does have, you know, as an app. Oh, okay, here it is. Instead, it, you know, goes to the pains to tell me you don't have this. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I'm using it is that they were silly enough to give me another free trial. So every time that (laughs) pops up, I was like, yeah, sure. I'll take three months before I just, you know, lurch back out. So I always pop back in. I'm more annoyed by the car mode swapping on and off because the the interface on car mode is really frustrating because you can't do anything other than it's just here's that one playlist that we've made for you (laughs) and i prefer to use the stuff i've downloaded to the phone so that i'm not chugging up data with that stuff and so i have to always put it off of car mode which more endangers me than it would if you just didn't put it into car mode in the first place because now you got to actually while you're driving and everything be like no get get this shit out of here put put this away so I always try to do that before the car is in motion, and then we go back into the other run. Speaking of live things, Shane, something you might appreciate. Uh, mm. Back in the 90s, I assume they probably did it later as well, but uh, when the WWF was doing a bunch of those in-your-house shows, mm-hmm. uh, newly discovered to me anyways, because some of them are just you know getting released there that I, I was watching, um, after the main event that would be uh, for the pay-per-view, they would do some dark matches, but they mm-hmm. would still have all the cameras rolling. Yeah. And so it would be the full production quality. And so I've only just recently seen uh, some performances from like 96 of like Shawn Michaels versus Mankind, Shawn Michaels versus Goldust. And it's uh, it's fascinating to watch just because uh, because they're dark matches and they're not on TV, there's a lot more just like fun being had, yes. you know, some goofy stuff that they wouldn't do if it was, you know, the actual pay-per-view still going, but it's the production quality of the pay-per-view. Yeah. So Ooh. it's really neat. So it's they the have best a bunch- of both worlds, really. Yeah, they had a bunch of those that they did as like Coliseum video exclusives back in the day. So they would do their television tapings of all of their squash matches. And then they would have a main event to keep the crowd engaged. So then they would have like, you know, um, Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan come out and have a match and they would film those and then release them for Coliseum stuff later on. And it, you know, get revoiced by everybody. And that's part of the stuff that the Jesse Ventura lawsuit uh, started with. But it was stuff that they were just filming for the house shows and they had it on hand anyway because the cameras were set up since they were filming television, etc. So a lot of really interesting matches that pop up in some of that material in the archives also. They have so much stuff that they're sitting on. That's what I was going to say is that it makes me wonder how much, like, there must just be rows and rows of like videos and tapes and such it just to go work in their archives would just be worth it since you can go watch the stuff that you actually would enjoy seeing if you can curate your own collection as you know Cornette often says like yeah i've got a better collection of vhs tapes here than most of these places that actually publish the material in the first place <laughs> yeah anyway I, I just, that all just came to light to me anyways recently and i I thought, oh, yeah, Shane, you'd appreciate this. Speaking of live performances kind of getting dropped. I was one of those horrible, like, kids back in the day that I loved because my mom got me really, like, I got hooked on watching some of the shows on Saturdays and things. But, you know, they still, it was kind of in the transitional period in the late 80s, early 90s, where they were still mostly doing Enhancement Masters on television and you had to 
buy the pay-per-view. So my mom, because we were running a video store at the time, would bring the wrestling pay-per-view stuff home because they'd get copies of like WrestleMania 4, uh, which is one of the first ones that I got really hooked on. And I'd get to watch the good matches finally uh, as as a kid. So then I got hooked on VHS tapes of wrestling. And WWE put out a ton of material with Coliseum Video that you could just get matches that you wouldn't have otherwise seen. And so I had a lot of those when I was a kid because, you know, they had to shut me up somehow. My grandpa <laughs> was a big wrestling fan, so he would just order the pay-per-views. So I would just get to sit by his knee and watch them. <laughs> And that's fun. Like you are, we have, you know, similar frame of reference, but ours, it's time frame centric, right? So I was cresting into like my late teens or, uh, well, early teens, uh, and into high school when you were watching stuff as a kid. So it's funny. Like I remember watching the live when Rey Mysterio got lawn darted into the side of the television truck by Kevin Nash, like was watching that episode. And as like a 14 year old was just completely gobsmacked that this stuff was happening or is like, oh, my God, this is actually real. It's happening. <laughs> They'd been lying to us for years. Yeah, it's very bizarre to have experienced those things. Yeah, I was so I'm born in 86. So, you know, when I'm 12, 13, 14, that's right. You know, DX, the attitude era. Uh -huh. So like, I'm going to school with the whole like, you know, suck it <laughs> doing yeah, it just it was a little Hellraiser there, and it was it was fun. Would you say you were a Hellraiser Ramon? Oh well, you know if I maybe when I was in elementary school, yeah, I actually did. Uh, like I remember doing trying to do the Razor's Edge. It's a lot harder. Than oh you yeah, would. you need some core strength to, to hold somebody up like that. Yeah, it, it looks like such a a simple move, and then I'm like, oh this. This takes some work. Uh-huh. See, I always just defaulted to the sack of shit slam. That was always the easier way for it to go. Just, I did do that and broke a, a bed with one of my friends from choir when we were in a, a hotel room in Washington, D.C. I did the sack of shit and threw him over my head, and he just completely combusted the hotel bed. It was just <laughs> quite delightful. Well, at, least it's a, at least it's a hotel bed, so you can just be like, I don't know, I sat on it, and it just gave out. Uh-huh. Yeah. We were, we were doing the apartment wrestling in the worst way shape or form yeah but i mean you could just you, know, you have some shitty quality stuff here oh I mean, no I, just... I thought you were saying i was fucking akeem no, the african no, dream no. over here my tonnage took the bed down no hell i'm not saying that i'm i, I saying... was implying no. it too no 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 oh, man no. Like, yeah my fat ass destroys just... furniture <laughs> No, I was thinking of a way to not have to fork out a major hotel bill. I could be a buck ten soaking wet, by the way. I'm not, obviously, for the for those with the checking out the YouTube shorts and whatnot. But but I could be a buck ten soaking wet. And if I broke the hotel bed, I'm gonna be like, I don't know. I just I put my suitcase on it and just caved out. I <laughs> If I broke the hotel bed, I would just be telling them, wait for the Pornhub release. You'll see what happened. <laughs> That's right. Sack of shit slam with that poor woman. <laughs> anyway, back to speaking of Pornhub, back to popping cherries, as it were. That's right. So uh, we've got the St. Huck has been formed and we're, you know, circa the mid 80s here. So they decided to recruit a horn section led by an alto saxophonist, Brooks Brown, and Perry and Schmidt then went on to change their band name to its latest incarnation known as Mr. Wiggles. Named so after a Parliament <laughs> song. 
reasonable, but at the same time, we're we're lending far too much into the cherry popping oeuvre here. It's uh, Mr. Well, Wiggles. Well, you can see the evolution here. We've gone from the jazz greats to St. Huck to Mr. Wiggles now. So, uh, like I said, named after a Parliament song, this band formed in 1988, playing their first show in Springfield, Oregon, as part of a benefit concert for workers of the Nikolai Door Manufacturing Plant, who were Ooh. then engaged in a union strike. So... Wait, really? They, they wanted to talk him into the building by playing some, uh, you know, ska. Well, no, Perry I know how was to break very, up the strike. The strike. Perry's very pro, like working man and stuff there. Oh, so yeah, even, even at a young age, there going and you know supporting the union strikers there, and you will see that uh, as you uh, casually listen through the Cherry Pop and Daddy's discography, there uh, a lot of his songs touch on like working class problems or the working class, you know, folk and and. That so it's it's you're seeing the foundations of that being laid here. Indeed, he is the Bruce Springsteen of the West Coast. That's that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I've always said that. <clears throat> the man is on his own journey to find his way. Steve Perry. You really like we're gonna get sued. <laughs> Journey's right. very litigious, even in a lonely world. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, so we're in the uh, the late 80s here in the Pacific Northwest, right? So as the rise of grunge began to phase punk and hardcore out of the Northwest underground scene by the late 1980s, Perry set out to start a band that stood in defiant contrast to the shoegazing attitude of alternative rock, showcasing high-energy dance music and Zappa-esque theatricality, in an attempt to create something that an audience would react to viscerally instead of passively. So very much uh, taking that punk rock essence. Essentially, Perry took the punk rock attitude of going against the trend. He tells the uh, Rocket, a newspaper in the Pacific Northwest, my, my conception of punk was doing whatever the hell you wanted as long as it had vitality and wasn't overly stupid, something exploratory and experimental. Citing influence from genre-bending bands such as The Class and the Meat, Pu Clash and the Meat Puppets. I like the class better, to be completely honest with <laughs> yes. you. I would enjoy seeing a, a very lengthy concert by the class. So it is it is very interesting here, you know, in the late 80s there and early 90s as grunge is kind of forming in that same area. And they're both coming from uh, this like punk foundations, right? You yeah. Know, you know, having the same background, like the, the bands that Nirvana, like, you know, Cobain and listened to growing up are the same bands that Perry was listening to. And they both wanted to kind of take that punk rock to the next step. But it's interesting to see how, how drastically different the two. Yeah, they approached the anti-establishmentism from, you know, two different perspectives as, as making a pincer. One decided not to wash. The other one decided to dress up and have a pompadour. So, well, well, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, because, Early and we'll we'll get there, but early Cherry Pop and Daddy's uh, concerts, uh, although had swing music being played, in which you would think if you were just listening to it, you're listening to a band, you know, with zoot suits on and whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got Steve Perry like shirtless with chains hanging down his you know jeans, and very much like if you had it on mute and watched it, you would be thinking you're watching a grunge or punk rock show where there's like even a little mosh pit and stuff going on when you unmute it. Oh, this is like 1940s music. <laughs> this is That's also so bizarre. <laughs> it's even more interesting because this also followed like the Neil Young doing a rockabilly album in that era as like the balls to think like, well, I saw how poorly this went for Neil Young. Maybe I can give it a better <laughs> go. 
Yeah. So, in their earliest incarnation, Mr. Wiggles played punk-inflected funk and soul music, though Perry's songwriting soon grew to, drew, to draw heavily from a newfound interest in jazz, swing, and rhythm and blues, combine, combining punk rock and jazz arrangements in what Perry described was a desire to contemporize American roots music by infusing it with punk energy and using modernist, socially aware lyricism. I, I, it's also, it's really fun because you do get to kind of cognitively reframe a lot of these things once you've gotten past it. But I sincerely doubt everybody is sitting around in the iterative phases and going like, you know what I would really like to do? There's some societal norms I need to address at the moment. <laughs> well, you know, well. <laughs> <laughs> some working men that I need to represent musically. Give me a moment. <laughs> Well, we'll see. I I actually don't put it past him to have no, proactively yeah, gone in there with it. Is a very cerebral individual, but I I having like gone through. I'm not in any way, shape, or form comparing myself to this or putting it in the same perspective. But a, a lot of like the concept that we came up with was some things that you can you know there was a framework in place already with some of the song and the material and then you just kind of slap on a little plaster on the outside to help it to conform to the things that I was thinking later on and the storytelling kind of felt that same way for me at least so when you're starting to then unspool what your your thoughts are in cultivating concepts for a band it I feel like some of that is also like well this is where we wound up and yeah I'm sure they probably had all those influences and thought of it that way it's just funny to hear it so eloquently stated as though they're sitting down with a, a pad and a paper and going like all right here is our here is our game plan ladies and gentlemen <laughs> all right our we need statement. some punk we need some funk and we need some socially conscious lyrics Go. Which, I mean, punk music is really driven is. by that generally, so yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. not hard to envision, but yeah. That is super interesting, though. I had not thought of that initially, of of course. Like, I'm just like, you know, somebody that likes to listen to music, right? Yeah, I can't yeah. pick up an instrument or craft a song for the life of me, right? I had not thought of that in this conversation that you, I, I, I'm definitely going to have to, you know, pick your brain with some questions as we go through this then, because... Mm. Uh, you're coming at it from a perspective that I couldn't hope to have since you are literally like a songwriter and have right. done like very much this. So you're definitely coming at it with a perspective I, I could not think of. And I totally get it where you're like, no, sometimes, you know, you have an idea and you just end up, well, it ends up over here instead. Yeah. You are kind of, you're the arbiter of your own history, right? The only dominion that you have is just who was around to kind of argue, which is the, like the Roger Waters versus the rest of Pink Floyd narrative. And those discussions where, you know, it's always Roger like, oh, they kicked me out and they just couldn't put up with my highbrow idealism anymore. It's like, no, Roger, you were, by all other accounts, you're a prick and you're very <laughs> difficult to deal with. And no one wanted to have you around anymore when you said step to the line or else they all went fuck you we'll just do it over here on our own so it, yeah it's always funny to hear people kind of recite their own history you, you add your own complexion a little bit as you go well and to touch on a band that we spoke of earlier you get a little bit of that even more i mean still a couple decades ago but even more recently with jason newstead there and metallica or, or even mustaine and metallica as well because the same general principles like everybody's like yeah no dave was a prick we all hated him but we just you know didn't find a delicate way to tell him that when he was getting in fights and the rest of us were pretty passive and if you listen to dave he you know new albums of metallica comes out and he still wrote some of the, <laughs> the licks on he's like no that's my riff right there they've never done a good thing since i left 
Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's pretty There's one Megadeth song that I actually like, and the rest is is pretty well. I, I enjoy some Megadeth. It is a different animal. As, as much as there is a simulacrum there because they came from the same place, the origins, it's kind of like children. Mm. The, the mother and the father both have different personalities, and therefore, you know, the music has a different personality to it. But uh, I, Mustaine's voice, once you get used to it, it, you know, I, I can get around, but like songs like Kick the Chair, I really like. Everybody points to a Toulamont, of course, because it's, oh, there's an acoustic guitar on it. He heard Peace one. Uh, is mine. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of fun stuff. But um, as much as I hated it the first few times I heard it, like if Crush It comes on these days, I'm I'm like, this is catchier than it deserves to be. Like that song <laughs> is annoying as hell the first time you hear it. And, uh, but, uh, I used to hate sweating bullets as well for that same reason. Cause it's very just kind of, it, it feels like it's a bad primus song at points. So is that <laughs> You're like, okay, dear God, somebody kill it. Okay. Sorry. I, you got me foaming at the mouth. This no, is why just, I, just, just quickly on, on a topic that we've touched on as well. And cause you mentioned Mustaine's voice and that's usually what turns me off of it, which mm-hmm. I'm surprised you can overlook it because you're a fan, you know, you're not a fan of Axel. Uh, and so I just wanted to touch on quickly of, uh, have you, did you see his November rain there at, uh, Lisa Marie? Presley's funeral or wake or whatever it was. Dave Mustaine performed November no, 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 no. Rain. Axel, as Axel, a... Axel <laughs> Rose performed. Uh, no, I did not because firstly, uh, I have been living in a, in a bit of a, a cocoon for a bit. Uh, thankfully one of my own making, uh, I, I wasn't joking. I think I mentioned this to Michael where I talked about previously. I was like, when I get to a point where I am sort of financially solvent, and I, I don't really care about some of the things that are happening. It's like, you will never see my ass. And I will just evaporate into the air. And all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, once I start, I have had people poke their heads up. It's like, hey, sir, are you are you okay? Like, are you alive? It's like, I, I got out of debt. I moved to a new place. And so it's like, yeah, I don't care if I'm on social media. I don't care if I have conversations with people outside the world. I'm reading books. I'm watching movies. And I am, uh, I am at peace. It is really lovely. But, uh, yeah, the, yeah. the threat was a real one. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I just kind of disappeared. Uh, it's really easy for me to get insular very quickly. So I didn't even know this had happened. I barely knew she passed. Yeah, I, she, well, she passed and I guess she wanted him to play at her, uh, memorial thing. Uh, needless to say, I'm, you know, an Axl Rose apologist for many ways. Understandable. And, uh, and that, that was a rough performance. <laughs> it is, it is worth a watch just for the first couple of minutes, just to kind of get a little chuckle as, you know, it, it's rough. I, man, I, I really like, <laughs> I want to get into your topic, but part of the reason why I love having you on and part of the reason I'm sure that Michael hates me to a certain extent and also loves it <laughs> is one, you can, uh, as like Steph does this all the time with me, I, I very easily get talking if you let me, uh, but you're also punching me with questions that lead me to start thinking and, and espousing <laughs> yeah. my, my personal perspective on a lot of stuff. But like Axl Rose suffers from something that I notice a lot of people that have a higher vocal timbre start to suffer from. Like Chris Cornell started to hit this later, which is what impresses me so much about Ian Thornley versus everybody else's. Your voice starts to go when you use that high register, in particular when you use it frequently. So like Elton John, if you watch him performing on the you know current tour, like Disney Plus has a concert is like one of his farewell concerts. Oh. 
their stuff is pitched down dramatically. He's like maybe two to three steps. So if you hear him play Benny and the Jets, it is in an entirely different key, and right. he is not doing the falsetto stuff anymore. Because after a while, you're you're into your seventies or eighties. You don't have that range anymore. It's gone. So stuff you could do when you were in your twenties. So like I hear Axel, and that's it has always been kind of the law of diminishing returns. Because I doubt he was a trained vocalist. So I'm sure a lot of what he was doing was just ripping his throat up. Because even my stuff, and I was trained. I have a lot of problems with. M- some paralysis from time to time so yeah. yeah and you've mentioned that before i think on air as well mm-hmm. like just just anything falsetto can just really set you back and like that was something that you were always like cautious about like you didn't want to go too far you didn't want to go too hard at once you can because... strain a lot of that stuff and it's it's bad bombing you can paralyze your vocal cords it's not good so yeah i don't doubt that he's starting to sound a little dodgier as it he sounds gets up. very like um uh, like shaky yeah you know and um yeah, it, does, it doesn't sound good, but especially tough, I suppose, for him because his songs and, and his style, he can't kick it down a couple. Yeah. Yeah, just because that's what it, it is. Like his whole shtick was, you know, that. So, yeah, anyways, I, I just knew that you you not being a fan, I was like, you know, you might get a little. A I'll, little. I'll investigate it. Maybe that's something that I can put a reaction video up for, uh, you know, the, the faithful here. Of watch <laughs> me torture myself. Uh. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, so swinging back over to this, uh, we have discussed their formation, so now we're going to move on to the early years. We're going to be talking about 1989 to 1993. So, in 1989, the title of Mr. Wiggles was retired when the band switched to a new name, the Cherry Poppin' Daddies. (gasps) Derived from jive slang, the members had overheard on a vintage race record. The band played their first show as the Cherry Poppin' Daddies at the Wow Hall in Eugene on March 31st, 1989. Mm. So, no shock. On March 31st, they play their first gig as Cherry Poppin' Daddies. In April, Uh the band gets hit with a lot of complaints about their name. With some women confronting Steve, he, you know, you well, get a little... I'm sure it's me who's having the problem here, but in case you don't see me... No, no, you came back. You came back. Okay, all right. It... Just when you thought you were out, it gets, dr- pull you pulls back you back in. in. The dreaded your connection is unstable. I was always like, yeah, we're slowing oh, down. Man, it's me. Go. It's got to be me. I'm the problem. It's going to be me. <laughs> You're back. You're back. All right. All right. Fabulous. Um, well, I, so I do want to ask, because perfect, perfect break in the in the action here. Jive? That's a that's a jive phrase? Or am I being talking. problematic asking about uh, that? No, jive slang would cherry popping. Okay, yeah. Okay, no. Okay, huh? no lies detected. I I tell you no lies, my friend. Fair enough. Continue. It, it just proves, Michael, that you are not a BG's fan. Very true. Very true. So something that Steve uh, shares, actually, you know, with your family there, Shane. Uh, he owned an avant-garde video store back in the day (laughs) at this time (laughs) i'm like trying to figure out where this connection is going here it's like his his great 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 grandfather was cutting people's ears off too (laughs) uh i would not justice yeah i would not say avant-garde video store by any stretch independent video store yes Yes. independent video store avant-garde makes it sound like they were releasing water sport videos from r (laughs) kelly in the 80s yeah that's right 
Three girls, one cup. Gigi oh. Allen, someone pisses on a, <laughs> in a cup on uh. stage and drinks it. Uh. Well, so, you know, like I said, so very soon after, literally just within days of performing their first show as the Cherry Poppin' Daddies, uh, they got hit with numerous complaints. And uh, a couple women confronted Steve outside of his video store and uh, started heckling him and uh, threw some uh, beverage at him <clears throat> as a result as well. Was so, it grenadine? I the the liquid substance remains unknown. That was just a, a <laughs> yeah. that was a shout out for Courtney there, just so that I could try to get something going there. <laughs> Is that so, why the bees were red honey? Oh, um, oh, I see it what was you did. in fact. Ah, yes, see, yes. I well played, huh? You remembered. You were there. <laughs> it's been so long since episode sixty nine. I can't remember. It's uh. been, <laughs> been a long time since the rock and roll is what it's been, but so. The, you know, backlash to the name prompted the band to briefly change their name yet again to The Bad Daddies, playing several shows under this new moniker. (laughs) Yeah, Bad Daddies isn't great, but it's, uh, you know, I guess a little bit better than the Cherry Poppin' Daddies. Mm. Depends on the context. Yeah, I was like, mm -mm, mm." they killed Bill 2 of it all. (laughs) Why, Daddy? Have you been a bad daddy? I was a real bad daddy. <laughs> oh, oh, oh dear. So uh, the Cherry Pop and Daddies, they sought to differentiate themselves from other Northwest rock bands of the era by having a horn section and featuring outlandish stage theatrics and encouraging their audience to dance. Like John Landis? <laughs> Land, outlandish. I'm sorry. I, 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 could, no, I, 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 I heard someone else say something incorrectly, and I got really excited. I'm like, please, Shane, do yeah, something. Yeah, I saw, I saw you getting all excited <laughs> over there, Michael. So uh, we all we all get mealy-mouthed. It's just, unfortunately, uh, I'm enough of an asshole that no one else wanted <laughs> to call me on it when it happens. It rarely happens to you, but only because you, you know, kind of do this you know, regularly and with the... I have had a little practice, yes. I was going to say, you can't say that because I do this on the regular and I still cannot pronounce words to save my life. Yes, but you're also drunk, so. Touche. I'm drinking. Is that, can I use that excuse? (laughs) Uh, You can try. (laughs) Not sure it's going to help. I'm drinking. I'm totally okay. (laughs) Look, Mondo, I'm I'm cool. I'm down with it. I can't pronounce words to save my life. Hi, fucking yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So referencing this time period, Perry spoke of the Cherry Pop and Daddy's ideology by saying it was our way of saying screw you, you know, to the alternative rock phoniness. Literally. Yeah. (laughs) We wanted to have fun. Pop your cherry. (laughs) That's right. Daddy. Bend over and take it. It's just all it's in the headline. It's all right there. Mm hmm. So, yeah, so he said, uh, it was our way of saying, screw you. We wanted to have fun, outrageously have a good blast without even thinking about it. That's right. He wanted to Fuck. have a good blast without even uh, thinking about it. You know what? I can't fault him for it. I can't. Who doesn't love to have a good blast? Exactly. Uh, I'm also going to apologize to everybody, but I am such a a like king acolyte. that now every time you're saying this, all I'm hearing is just the opening, like, uh tones of carry of people saying, plug it up plug oh. it up <laughs> <laughs> oh dear 
<laughs> Sorry, you've people. said that several times. Just oh, <laughs> yeah, <dear."> yeah. <laughs> well, I was so just like, I don't even know what else to say to that. Like, like I was like, oh god. I know. Oh, I'm just yeah. I'm just like thinking that? of people like pelting the cherry pop and daddies <laughs> with tampons while they're trying to perform. It's horrible. Plug it up. <laughs> Get one in the horns, like you know, the saxophonist <laughs> almost dies. You know, I suspect that they would have rolled with that had that happened at the time. I can see it. it. Well, as long as it wasn't a pad, they could have rolled with it. So, <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> in July of 1989, the Daddies recorded their first demo cassette, Four from On High, which included four tracks of funk rock and punk influenced punk influenced swing. The cassette sold over 1,000 copies in the Eugene and Portland areas, enabling the band to self-produce their debut LP, Ferociously Stoned, released the following year in 1990. So again, certainly speaks to a lot of the, you know, socialist perspective that they were trying to espouse. Mm -hmm. Ferociously Stoned. Well, the album's name was a reference to a Motorhead song, Born to Lose. Oh, well, so you say. So it is. Or are you suggesting that's a lie, Shane? I I may be. (laughs) Well, maybe or are. (laughs) Well, I mean, you you came up with that so quickly. It would be silly of me to say that it was a lie. Okay. I'll say it's a lie. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all beating around the bush. I'm going for it. I'm diving Uh. in. No, You're it's true. Popping the cherry, okay. It's true. The Cherry Pop and Daddies named their first album in reference to the Motorhead song Born to Lose. Okay. Well, plug it up. Yeah. Ferociously Stoned set a near record for all time advanced sales in Eugene, Oregon's record stores, coming in second only to REM. Which album from REM, I should ask? Uh, you Not should ask, I, and I should if, know. I was like, if you I throw don't. that out, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> you should ask. I don't know. Uh, I will follow that up on a future REM disinformed podcast uh, episode. Fables of the Ooh. Reconstruction. <laughs> Let's, I'll throw that one out there just as a guess. <laughs> yeah, and and I'll say sure. Maybe and green. Now- See, here's where you're going to run into a problem, because I can probably run through as much REM as you could run through of the Cherry Pop and Daddies, which is disgusting i know but i can document it uh, and i'm losing my religion uh, that's it that's a song title that yeah, is a song got, that's, the, that that's literally all i know for rem and the fact that what's his face from rem the main guy he would often like pop onto stephen face. colbert's like colbert rapport uh-huh. and like just hang out you know in little snippets there i do remember that well, Michael Stipe is one of my ah, favorite Michael, people. Yeah, Michael he's Stipe. no apparently he's no Steve Perry, but uh, well, who who is really Michael Buck? That's who. But yeah. <laughs> he's definitely no Steve Perry. His name is Michael Buck. I have behind me, uh, apocryphally enough, a the single of uh, REM's Day Sleeper, which I got on the same trip to Washington D.C. where the sack of shit slam caused a broken bed. <laughs> And uh, that's I fell in love with REM probably in the mid '90s uh, when everybody else did. Once we you know started running through that time frame, but they are one of my favorite bands. Strangely enough, I don't talk about them a lot. But interesting, yeah, I'll have to explore them a little bit more because I'm only familiar literally with that one song. When they were big, I was I was probably a a little young for it, but also mm-hmm. at that time period, um, I was really into like. Uh, sublime 
in the mid nineties okay. there. Um, they're, they're a lot of fun. That is another one of those bands that is stylistically like genre schizophrenic. They, uh, they really have a lot of shades and gradients to their material. Really fun. Listen. Okay. Then I'd be very interested because that, that is very much the Terry Pop and Daddies in terms yeah. of all over the place. So I'd be interested you, in that. If you want to have a fun trip, like listen to the REM catalog and then jump and listen to like the Genesis catalog, which is made even more impactful by swapping like lead singers in the, in the middle of the run. It's, there's a lot of fun to be had there from my perspective. I like Genesis as well. I agree with that. All right. So, uh, as I said, they set a near all-time advanced sales in Eugene. The album became a regional success, remaining for over a year on the Rockets' Northwest Top 20 list and receiving favorable reviews in the Oregonian and Alternative Press. Mm. At one point, the Cherry Pop and Daddies were planning an animated music video for the song Teenage Brain Surgeon, Ooh. though ultimately scrapped the idea due to production cost. Uh, Teenage Brain Surgeon, a phenomenal song. Highly recommend. I will have to explore. It's it's fantastic. Uh, I yeah, you'll love it. Um, Ferociously Stoned was originally released on vinyl and CD by independent label Subpar Records. The vinyl cover depicted three bikini-clad women clutching stones against a backwards American flag, and the subsequent CD release featuring the featuring only the band's name with sensor bars over the word "cherry" and "poppin." <laughs> <laughs> Bar bar nice. daddies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I that is the typical logo. Like if you search, you know, ferociously stoned, that's the logo you'll usually see. Um, but I have the original vinyl there with the three lovely ladies there in their bikinis and the backwards American flag. And uh, only last month got Steve Perry to sign it, so that was fun. When they stayed at your house, or mm -hmm. uh, no, when I went out to to DC to see them. Ah. Yeah, uh, wow. they're they'll, they'll they're staying later this year. I see. Well, oh, okay. So there's still a chance. We'll find hey, out what else he signs when that rolls around. Well, that's on when the real cherry popping happens. Mm, like I said, on our OnlyFans. Yeah. That's right. Mm. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so having released their first album, plug it up. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Now, instead of seeing sensor bars over the words cherry and poppin', I'm just picturing tampons. <laughs> I'm tampons also, over cherry, tampons over poppin', and just daddies. I, I, I'm also seeing you screaming that at Steve Perry. Steve Perry's Plug it up! Plug it up! Yeah, he goes to the washroom and he's like, Mike, it's overflowing. Plug it up! <laughs> sure, that's why you would say that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh -huh, uh -huh, yeah. Oh, Daddy. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <clears throat> uh, okay. So, in March 1991, when the Cherry Pop and Daddies had temporarily shortened their name to The Daddies to alleviate the controversy surrounding their name, the album was re-released with the shortened band name and new cover art featuring a skeleton in formal wear modeled after the Grateful Dead's Uncle Sam skeleton. Oh, fun. Is the shorten, the shorting of the name bullshit? It is not. The Daddies. In fact, when I saw really? them last month, yes, in fact, when I saw them last month, they were introduced as the Daddies because Cherry Pop and Daddies, still controversial when oh. they were playing a swing dancing lesson venue. <laughs> Which is what it was. I mean, no, I was the only one there that that cared about the band. Everybody else ignored the band, and they were there for like the swing dancing lessons stuff that was oh, happening. And I was there watching so the band. Sad. 
Yeah, but the band loved me for it. They were like, they all talked to me afterwards and stuff. And they were like, I said, you know, you knew pretty much all the words. Practically could have had you on stage. And I was like, yeah, I'm I'm here for you guys. I don't care about this dancing stuff going on behind me. Put me in, coach. I'm ready. It's my time to shine. I'm like, it's also such a bizarre gig. Like, they flew across the country for that. They Must apparently have. got paid quite well. I, I would imagine to, yeah. so, but yeah, that's so. There were uh, a anyway. lot of people there. It was a big venue, and there okay. were a lot of people there. So, and you're but, the one who's paying I'm attention. The only one, yeah, and I'm the only, literally, whole venue. <sighs> I, I took pictures of it when I was showing Elda and stuff as well. Uh, everyone else dancing away, having time, and I'm the only one paying attention to the band. <laughs> In fact, I got invited to dance uh, two times uh, once by this lovely elderly woman who just, I think, was being sweet. And then once by a very young, attractive woman who seemed offended when I turned her down. <laughs> like I'm not she, here for this. I'm here yeah, for them. basically that was it. I was like, I'm not here for the dance. That's literally what I said. I was like, no, I'm, I'm, here. <laughs> I'm not here for the dance and I'm here for this. She's like, come on, sugar, come. Like, it'll be fun. And I was like, it's not going to happen. And then she kind of got in a little huff and went off. <laughs> <laughs> That's a My phrase I soul. need to. I was, I was about to say, clip that. Um <laughs> Come on, sugar, come. Uh, That's right. Plug it up. <laughs> but um, Michael has has done some interpretive and uh, swing and dancing in in his history. I have seen. There's really? at least photographic my, evidence. Talk about my wedding. No, you you've I, I've seen you documented on a dance floor on social media. Oh, some... oh, when I actually was doing ballroom. I, yes, I, when yeah, you were okay. doing some dancing, yes. Yeah. I I have a ballroom. year a, a year's worth of air quotes ballroom Plug dancing it up. experience. Exactly. <laughs> did you put it to use during your wedding? Hell no, I did. <laughs> uh, I, I do did have not. to Wait, say is that a yes or a no? Hell no. No, I did not. I Hell did. no, I did not. <laughs> uh one of my favorite moments of your wedding in its entirety was you dancing with Josie, though, I have to say. That was an absolute delight. It was a lot of fun. It was very adorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melissa at that point had said, like, I wish I'd had a stepdad that was like that. Aww. So, mm-hmm. That's sweet. Heartbreaking. <laughs> I got a little misty when she was saying it, too. I was like, yep, here I go again. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> my Shit, Adam I might West. be like that, that too. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> there go my nipples again. <laughs> 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 All right, gentlemen, circling back to the topic at hand. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, ferociously Stoned featured Steve Perry on a, on a two-string bass and Jason Moss, the band's guitarist, on a three-string three guitar. What are they, the it, presidents it, of the United States of America? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is quite like that. Yeah, Millions they, of peaches? Steve, uh, you know, the quote being, if a song is good played on an instrument with two strings, it is probably, it probably is a good song, Perry later told Guitar World. Also, there's nobody, there's no body of two string guitar work that you have to live up to. You don't have to worry about being as good as Tal Farrow or Eric Clapton or Stevie Ray Vaughan. You're just you. Means we, we can't afford the other two strings. Which two strings were they? I I need to know now. I should know and I don't. I guess I was like, just if it was the E string and the A string, like, okay, that would make sense for a bass. But if they're rocking the D and the G, they're having a rough time differentiating between the guitar. <laughs> but, uh, I, but though, if that's, you know, 
if they have the D and the G on the bass, and then they've got like the high uh, E and and B, and then the the high G on the uh, guitar there. They've basically just made a single instrument with those two things. (laughs) 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 With our powers combined. We can make a chord together. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, yeah. So, that that was what they said. They were happy that they didn't have to uh, live up to a body of work that already existed there. Okay. That's reasonable. It's very punk rock. Yep. So, while the album is driven primarily by funk and swing... Ferociously Stoned also features experiments in psychedelic pop with a song called Lifeboat Mutiny, Disco with a song called Suicide Kings, and a James Brown-style rhythm and blues song called You Better Move. Also, they have a song on the album called Flovilla Thatch versus The Virile Garbage Man. Mm. <laughs> yeah. This is like a turn of phrase. Yeah. yeah it's, it is a... Very interesting song, yeah. Flovilla Thatch versus the Virile Garbage Man. So Flovilla Thatch is the name of a character in the Russ Meyer film Beneath the Valley of the Ultra Vixens, which is a 1979 satirical sexploitation film directed by American filmmaker Russ Meyer and written by Roger Ebert and Meyer. So kind of a unique little bit there with Roger Ebert hopping in. So So that's where the name Flovilla Thatch comes in. And there's a little breakdown in it, and uh, I, I think you, or at least I, appreciate what the song is speaking about. So I'll give you a little bit of the lyrics here. So, hey girl, I'm talking to you. Two is the number of the voodoo that you do. My kinky twinkie is black and blue. Your pointer sisters are just too good to be true. She's got the hump. Ain't talking about your rump. That vicious double bump. Your busy front is pumping up my bass. Got the hump. Clock the mother's jumps, the bump that really thump. Your busy front is jamming in my face. Turn those mothers out. You should say, <laughs> especially spoken word. <laughs> yes. Well, well, to continue, if you had only ended it with "plug it up," I think it would have been perfect. Well, well, that actually comes in the next little bit here. So the oh, next no. bit of the lyrics is. Holy Toledo, twin torpedoes, my Cub Scout pitched a tent in my Speedos. I squirt dessert and flirt with skirt and rub my genie in the lamp until my fingers hurt. Cross your heart, you're going strapless. That's a pretty pearl necklace. Drop your record on my needle. Stick my head between your speakers. You remind me of my mommy. That's an awfully large pastrami. Can you use a melon baller? I'm a 1-900 caller. And I feel like this definitely speaks to the disenfranchised workers in the steel mills. <laughs> there are some folks in a paper factory somewhere feel very, very appropriately represented. You know, the despondency of the workaday ennui of the American iron worker really appropriately represented by this. Fuck me. Plug it up. <laughs> um, in whose endo? What do you mean? Oh. Yeah, yeah. I think speakers, though. That's right. I think. It, I think. Uh. Really, the line that best speaks to the uh, plight of the working class was my kinky twinkies, black and blue. Yes, I mean that does often happen that's if true. you get it trapped in a in a vice while you're trying to you know late plate steal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's right. I squirt dessert there. and flirt with skirt and rub my genie in the lamp until my fingers hurt. 
Yeah, yeah, see, this is why I might have been a little, you know, more <laughs> incredulous about all this highbrow fucking, you know, nonsense <laughs> getting thrown out. I've heard some of the material. <laughs> yes. Um. Well, well, it's delightful. Well, yes, clearly a song about boobs. But you know, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. Well, you know, you're a bunch of young college guys, right? So I, I can't blame them. It's a good song. Um, I didn't know if it was the prefrontal protuberances or something. It, it could have been like your nostrils. I mean, his, well, he mom, did... his mom had a big pastrami, if I recall correctly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I think I think he was the one with the awfully large pastrami. But, uh, He's but yes, the daddy. Oh. Um, but uh, but yes, yeah, so, well, they do talk about other things. So uh, like an interesting song on the album – uh, and what I kind of like about it is uh, what they often do is they they kind of touch. Obviously, that song just being about boobs isn't a great example. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> what? But they do often uh, touch on uh, some darker material. Oh, but vaginas. Set, okay. Right. But they, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they set the lyrics. They set these darker lyrics to like upbeat swing dance songs or, you know, other type of upbeat music. In which the juxtaposition of the music with the lyrics is like startling to the point mm-hmm. where you can be out on the dance floor. In fact, it happened just last month where everybody's dancing away, having a great time. Because if you're not listening to the lyrics, it is just a very peppy, happy swing song. But then when you actually listen to the lyrics, some of it can be quite dark material. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, uh, they have a song called uh, Drunk Daddy. <clears throat> and it opens with mama married a big asshole whiskey bottles on the floor he keeps on watching tv stepchild tired of being poor kitchen smells like a rotten garbage i can't chew my food my face is sore mama didn't come home last evening neighbors say that she's a whore some folks never want for nothing i'm a worn out hand me down stupid rich kid gets me angry lord i'm gonna cut him down now i'm grown up the same old story at 21 i fell in love she left me just like the others Jesus, why'd you curse my love? Drunk daddy broke my fingers. Drunk daddy done kicked my head. Drunk daddy smashed my sister. Turned my whole world red, blood red. Now, which hole are we referring to? (laughs) But that that, that song, if you listen to uh it, is a super, like, peppy dance song that, you know, you would never think. It's like, oh, that... You listen to it and you're like, oh, man, that's like a dad that's like beating the crap out of a sister and him and breaking his fingers. And, you know, and, and but if you just listen to the music itself, you're like, mm, I can go dance with my wife about this. You know, mm-hmm. that is uh, something I, I have commonly it, it's we've called that the the Shane as well. It's something I'm very fond of, of having the, the jauntiest uh, tunes always has the most introspective or uh, acidic or acerbic lyrical content so i completely appreciate it's it's an excellent device that you can use as a distraction and you can litmus test your audience very quickly exactly yeah you'll you're really paying attention precisely Mm -hmm. yeah and i can attest that you know this song came out over 30 years ago and uh, 30 years later it is uh, still an accurate test because i was the only one listening to the song everybody uh-huh. else is happily dancing away these you know elderly couples swinging away having fun just swishing their fingers uh-huh. you know mm-hmm. well and as swing. evidence the uh, the first damn the weather single that ever came out was a song called speechless 
which I had written about a relationship that I was in where uh, there was absolutely nothing but just physical chemistry between the the individual and myself and discussing the fact that I had no other connection. And it's but it's a very upbeat tune it's a very, you know, jaunty pop song. And the individual it was written about thought it was a super sweet and romantic sentiment. And I was like, uh. as if to evidence what I'm talking about. And to this day, like, had showed it to people as something that she thought was great. And I don't think anyone ever pointed that out to her, unfortunately. But, uh, so, yeah, it's it's something that's it's a good There's trope. a Limp Biscuit song very similar to that about... Oh, fuck. Where, <laughs> where it's true, where the song is about, you know, there's... A sex is all that's become between like the per the two people, you know, uh, dirty memories of the simple things that we do. There's not Thank much you left. for comparing yeah. me to Fred Durst. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, I welcome. appreciate it. Yeah. Well, and his was first. So, I mean, really, who's uh, they do say, you know, mimicry is a sincere form of flattery and all that. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Damn. Yeah, if I ever get close to attempting to mimic anything Fred Durst has ever done other than intake of oxygen, someone's going to be putting a tag on my toe soon after. Uh, all right, all right. So, <clears throat> moving on to uh, controversies and censor censorship. So, Cherry Pop and Daddy's early performances often included flamboyant costumes go-go dancers, phallic stage scenery, prop-heavy skits, and choreographed dance numbers. What do you mean by phallic? Oh, we'll get into it. <laughs> plug so, it up. That's right. Plug it up. <laughs> plug it up. <laughs> so Perry, then performing under his mad scientist stage persona of MC Large Drink, would regularly engage in absurdist shock rock stunts, such as mock crucifixion and flag burning. One of the bands, and this is the answer to your question, Michael, one of the band's stage props was known as the Dildorado. The, Go on. That's right. It was known as the Dildorado or the Moto Penis or the Dick Car or the Dildozer. All of and these it, sound like things that Tasty Cake has marketed in the last 10 years. <laughs> It was a riding lawnmower modified to look like a human penis that mimicked ejaculation by shooting colorful fluid from its tip. Hell yeah. Yeah. In that's creative. <laughs> I gotta, no, I, I gotta give people credit for that. Like that, that seems like a very evocative piece of, you know, prop to have on the stage. Either Especially that when you're coming out to swing music. It's like either that or they were lambooting George Jones. <laughs> Someone so, somewhere is going to laugh at that joke, and it's at Sissy SpaceX's expense, I'm sure. But uh. Oh, dear. Oh, there it is again. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, guys. <laughs> All right. So in 1990, John Conan entered a float in the annual Eugene celebration. He was going to have the Cherry Pop and Daddies play on it during the celebration parade. But on the day of the parade, it rained, and the band didn't show up out of fear of being electrocuted. However, Steve Perry, the perpetual teenage brain surgeon that he is, came away from this brush with death with an idea. Why not make one of those little cars that follow the horses in parades only shaped like a penis? <laughs> Over the course of an undetermined time frame, Steve, John, and friend Bill Beamer downed an, in 
downed an undetermined number of beers Ah. while they worked out the details. Converting a car would be too much work. The erectile mechanisms would be too cumbersome. They decided that attitude. That's right. Can't get it up. All you got to do is get a wacky, (laughs) waving, flailing arm inflatable tube, man. And well, but that's not a car. That's but you could pop it through the back of the trunk. But you want the car to be the penis. I don't want want the car to be the penis. You you need to ride that cock. (laughs) I I do not need to ride that pony. (laughs) So, after realizing the car would be too difficult, they decided next on making a motorcycle-type vehicle, but they couldn't find a suitable frame on which to build. Next, they thought about using a riding lawnmower. Thanks to Dan Schmidt, who found a used riding mower for sale quite cheap, Construction on the moto penis finally began. They designed the contraption as they went along, finding and using spare parts as they needed. The shaft of the penis was made out of a 55-gallon drum. The motor came from an old Ford V8. The handlebars were bought at a used bicycle store. The pneumatic cylinders that erect the vehicle were made out of PVC pipe with discs cut out for an inner tube for the seals. And the air (laughs) reservoir was made out of a propane tank. I, I'm really, I, I, I gotta tell you, I'm on the verge. I know I harangued Michael for discussing the <laughs> facial hair configuration on a former Russian dictator. Jesus Christ, do we need to get this granular? We are talking. So, first of all, how dare you compare the Dildorado to facial hair? We're talking about a, I, a riding lawnmower, like that has been made to look like a penis that ejaculates. You know, stuff out on stage. Firstly, my facial hair is a Dildorado. <laughs> but. So, yeah, this was worth getting into because oh. this isn't just somebody's beard style. This is the Dildorado. This is but an all-time iconic vehicle. That's great. But I'm starting to think that, you know, we're still up, like barely past their first album. And I, you listed <laughs> quite a few. So if this is where we're at, we're going to be here till 2, 2 p.m. on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> well, we literally could do parts two and three as part two and three. Uh, okay, Just, we're still yeah. in part one. Uh, yeah, oh. <laughs> but we're closing in on the end. We're sweet oh. jumping baby I was Jesus. Scared. I was fucking scared. I thought you were be like, oh no, we just started part well, one. Hold on, let God. me look here. Okay. Oh jeez. Uh, well, I mean, we're making some headway. <laughs> oh, pun God. intended. Uh, oh no. Jesus. All right, all right. We'll skip past some of the details of because yeah, if you're going to give me a pardon, pardon the pun, blow by blow on every single intricacy of their career, I'm well, not sure not I'm going to let you live. <laughs> First of all, I would argue that that a discussion of uh, the I, moto penis is. I worth agree. I'm on. just upset that it took us this fucking long to get to the interesting Listen, stuff. You know, we needed the foreplay my friend i disagree but plus, okay plus for the record we would have streamlined our way quite here uh, quite faster here except we've taken uh, several detours along the way without the benefit of the moto penis to get steer us back uh, yes track. but at the same time like i didn't realize you were giving us a dissertation so <laughs> i <laughs> well all right finally after months of labor i'll skip past the, the last little bit uh, there. Finally, after, after months dick, of yes. labor the moto penis was taken the gill seat covers to be covered all right, and the moment of truth arrived. Steve drove the thing out down the block to the gas station, filled up <laughs> the tank, and we were ready. Did he fucking to- use regular or unleaded? <laughs> Is it I a like diesel? I like to think he used diesel. I, I, so, cannon, head cannon, her, her, he used 
Diesel. That's right. So when <laughs> when the time to test the erectile and ejaculatory mechanisms came, it was right in front of Steve's house. The functions worked. It was indeed able to shoot out condoms out towards the street. And, they, and it was a busy street during rush hour, too. So he's just shooting condoms out the moto penis at the cars as they drive by. I thought Hell it shot yeah. fluids. No, well, it did both. So that but, seems but, counterintuitive. Well, so so now that we know that the ejaculatory function worked, the dildo the dildozer had six barrels. See, I'm answering your question here. You six ask questions. Barrels. That's right. Six barrels. It's very virile. A, a wad wow. of tissue a wad of tissue paper was first stuffed down the tube. Then they poured whatever they wanted to shoot out. So then you'd stuff another wad of tissue down to stop the stuff from spilling it. You know, nobody wants to bust their load too early. I disagree. <laughs> so I can't wait to, to bust mine and get out of here. Zero to 60 in two seconds flat. Go. <laughs> so the moto penis made its debut at the Herb Memorial Union Bowl at the University of Oregon when the cherry pop and daddies opened for fishbone. The barrels were loaded with condoms, sequins, and popcorn. Why condoms, you ask? Well, a local AIDS activist who was HIV positive agreed to help pay for the construction of the moto penis, but only if it would ejaculate condoms into the audience, and thus it did. This is a diversionary tactic. Why the fuck were they shooting popcorn out, and why would anyone want to eat said popcorn? I think popcorn's the one that made the most sense. <laughs> no, you got sequins and condoms. Why would you shoot popcorn? Who would want to eat sequined popcorn? Everybody needs a snack. It's the mid-90s or yeah, early 90s. <laughs> so, although it hasn't been used since 1996, there are Ugh. persistent rumors that the Willy on Wheels will rise up again in glorious virility. <laughs> this story is far from over. The daddy's uh, ever to tell. <laughs> I am so sick of this motherfucking snacks and this motherfucking moto penis. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll 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 leave the moto penis behind and we'll drive on. So, with, <laughs> with things like the moto penis and one on their name, it's a little surprise to learn that the band attracted controversy from feminist groups who condemned the band's performances <laughs> as pornographic, citing their name and sexually charged lyricisms as promotion of sexism and misogyny. But did they describe the plight of the modern man <laughs> that is trying to be expressed when well, trying to rebuff these you know, accusations? Right. Well, when In rebuffing them, Perry disputed the claims, defending the controversial elements as misinterpreted satire. See, we talk about tits, but we also talk about the working man uh, and well, working stiffs. This is stiffs, all very early. And that's where moto penis came from. It's just a working stiff. Why are you going to downgrade it? Uh, Why are you going right. to make fun of it? Well done, working stiff. I love it. Mm -hmm. All right. So vigilante protest groups habitually tore down or defaced the band's posters and sought to boycott against venues that would book the group and even newspapers who gave them a positive review. The Daddy's concerts routinely, routinely became sites of organized picketing and, on one occasion, a bomb threat. Mm. The band members themselves were frequent frequent recipients of hate mail. I know, I'm mumbling. They could too. be. No, it's fine. They could be freaking <laughs> recipients of hate mail, too. <laughs> frequent recipients of hate mail, threats, and physical harassment. As I mentioned earlier, Perry claimed that once an irate protester threw a cup of hot coffee in his face as he was walking down the street. The daddies initially refused to change their name on the grounds of artistic freedom, but a number of venues refused to book them due to the negative publicity. The band was even temporarily banned from the Wow Hall out in Eugene, where they had previously served as a house band. 
So as we discussed earlier, the group later bowed to community pressure and performed under the daddies, the bad daddies, and similar variations within Eugene, but performed under their original name while touring elsewhere. And of course, still performing the exact same material and likely showing and driving up. the dildozer around. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they changed rock. the name, so it's okay. Like you know, they went from the cherry pop into the daddies, so it, it, it's fine. Well, if the daddies, yeah, if the daddies roll out on a motorized penis, it's a little different than if the cherry yeah. pop and daddies roll out on the motorized penis. Because there's intent. <laughs> I'm not sure. There's intent behind that name. <laughs> the sin of omission. <clears throat> Yeah. Well, they did lots of stuff. Like I said, they did mock crucifixions. They did flag burnings. Yeah. It was a, yeah. It was a lot of stuff. In fact, Steve once came out in nothing but a diaper and poured chocolate syrup all over himself. Hot. So you're yeah. describing them as like the Marilyn Manson of the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> yeah, I guess a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So during one performance of the song Up From The Gutter, Steve was carried out on stage as Jesus and tied to a full-size cross. Another time, Steve was featured backlit behind a sheet. While the theme from 2001 played, Steve manipulated a four-foot-long fiberglass pickle. But from the audience's point of view, it didn't look like a pickle. <laughs> <laughs> Looked like a, you know, large <clears throat> plank of steel being carried by a frustrated mill worker. It's the uh, obelisk <laughs> from 2001! <laughs> All right, so moving on to their national touring and independent success. I'm afraid I can't do that, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Not with that attitude. <laughs> Throughout the early 90s, the Daddies continued to remain a reliably popular and prop profitable draw in the Pacific Northwest and Northern California club circuit. Despite earning accolades from the local music press, including winning San Francisco Weekly's title of Best Unsigned Band in 1994, the daddy struggled to achieve wider recognition and distribution. I'm not shocked that a band as a moto penis won the San Francisco award for best new artist. That's right. They just ejaculated right on the, right onto the scene. That Showed up they in did. some Birkenstocks, they wouldn't have been more popular. I mean, really, the daddies were you know ahead of their time. Really, you could just say they came too early. But following terrible problem, <laughs> terrible problem. So, following a number of changes in their member and managerial lineups, the the, member. That's right. In their well, in their mem yeah, in their member lineups. Uh, they're, yeah. they're, oh, they they're upgraded the moto penis. That's okay, right. got it. They have a new sheath every night, bigger and better, uh, <laughs> ribbed for her pleasure. Ooh. ooh. <sighs> She, yeah, about to cut her grass. <laughs> it's oh! so veiny. <laughs> they yeah, brought no, back the dick vein and then some. That's right. No need to shave, ladies. We've got it covered. We'll do the trimming. Plug me up, daddy. <laughs> Plug it up. Plug it up. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, what, uh, anyways, it doesn't matter. I was thinking of some sort of early 90s thing like, oh, there's a. Unplugged MTV. Yes. No, no. Yeah, well, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> so in 90 in the fall of 94 they they embarked on their first national tour which was highlighted by a set at the cmj music marathon festival and convention out in new york city so upon returning to eugene without any advantageous deals the daddies instead bought and constructed their own independent record label and recording studio space age bachelor pad records 
where they self-produced and self-recorded their second studio album, Rapid City Muscle Car, which was released in December 1994. I think I referenced this one with you guys. I was going to say, I have heard that title before. Yeah. So, like Ferociously Stoned, the band chose the album name from a lyric from a Motorhead song, this time Overkill. I would never have, you know, determined that as a, a peak influence for that band, having heard both. It wouldn't have struck me that that was an influence. Well, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. The only way to feel the noise is when it's good and loud, as Lemmy says. So Indeed. Yeah. So Rapid City Muscle Car was structured around the daddy's desire to create a stylistic concept album in which each track was composed as the total musical opposite of the last. Quote, whipping the listener around as if he or she was experiencing stylistic G-forces, but remaining thematically coherent through interconnected lyricism following an abstract narrative. So it was all about tits. Well, no, they, left behind some, was... they left behind those boyish ways there. They retired the Dildorado, and they retired oh. the, the songs about boobs. Damn. So they went on to, like, ass? Or... <laughs> I mean, you got to, you got, you got to, you know, cover your bases, so to speak. Like you can't just like thematically. Yeah, sure. It's all encompassing, but you have to go from one style to another style. So you got to mm-hmm. go from one location to another. So absolutely makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah. Clap them cheeks. Mm-hmm. Described by Perry as an idea album, a very psychedelic album. Rapid City Muscle Car was a distinct departure from the upbeat dance music vibe of Ferociously Stoned, showcasing a diverse range of disparate genres. Building upon the band's then-standard repertoire of swing and funk, Rapid City weaves between ska punk, rockabilly, country, psychedelic, big band, and lounge. The album also makes extensive use of outside instruments, adding acoustic guitars, accordions, clarinets, and vibraphones in addition to the band's keyboards and horn section. A f- yeah, a full big band orchestra is even used on Come Back to Me, a cover song taken from the 1965 uh, song uh, from the Broadway musical On a Clear Day You Can See Forever. I think it was made famous by Sammy Davis Jr. So while Perry has retrospectively cited Rapid City as his favorite personal daddy's album, he revealed in a 1995 interview with the Los Angeles Times that the album sold only okay, but ultimately didn't surpass the sales of Ferociously Stoned. So when they abandoned the Dildorado and the songs about boobs, they sold less albums. Go figure. <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah. People are short on substance. Mm, no. Yeah, the album covers a wide range of topics, not boobs, but it covers things from a chronic cheater to hunting down a deadbeat dad to alcoholism to suicide. So the daddies began dedicating themselves to full-time touring in 95, playing over 200 shows across two or three national tours per per year, including spots at prominent music festivals, such as South by Southwest, in a city near and dear to my heart, Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. As the band gradually built fan bases in markets markets around the world, they began attracting interest from several high-profile record labors. (laughs) Labor, 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 because they're all about that labor support, you know, indeed, it's very (laughs) important to them. Mm -hmm. I should have highlighted some of the songs that actually touched on that. Instead, I referenced boobs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, uh, again, can't can't uh, be faulted. Can't be faulted. uh, There's you you can leave the occasional crevice, you know, fiddled, I suppose. uh, (laughs) But we're we're very exploratory here. That's right. Mm -hmm. 
So, uh, however, when the suggestion or stipulation was made that the Cherry Pop and Daddy stick to one genre, Perry invariably rejected any label offers, not wanting any outside influences controlling the band's sound. Respectable. Nice. And the concept of the record sounds fantastic, so I'm yeah, sure so it was excellent. It's a really good album. Um, so in a similar mindset, not wishing to be pigeonholed into any specific scene or genre, Perry at first refused to tour with ska bands. Though after a highly successful and well-received tour with Fresno ska band Let's Go Bowling, he acquiesced and the Cherry Pop and Daddies eventually carved out a lucrative niche within the national ska scene, forming regular touring partnerships with the likes of the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, Real Big Fish, and Less Than Jake. And in fact, when they're coming to the town in which I live now, later this year, it is for a ska festival. So, while the mainstream's growing focus on punk and ska by the mid-1990s presented the Cherry Pop and Daddies with further commercial opportunities, Perry still insisted on for, foremost on maintaining complete creative control of the band. In February 1996, the Daddies released their third self-produced studio album on Space Age Bachelor Pad Records called Kids on the Street. Yet another musical departure from the previous record, Kids on the Street was mostly a reflection of the band's growing punk and ska influences, eschewing the, <laughs> the daddy's trademark brassy funk and swing in favor of guitar-driven rock, punk, and ska, as well as a stylistic detour into jazz and country. Notably, Bradley Knoll, of fellow ska band Sublime Fame, who I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. lends vocals to the song White Man, singing the lyrics, When I'm ignorant, I'm still at ease. Fill my chest and express expertise, because my gender is like fancy attire. It emboldens its lowliest occupier. You can't trust me because I'm a white man. I take more than I need because I'm a white man. I can understand you're afraid to take my hand, because when it all goes bad, I'll stab you in the back, white man. Hmm. Where's the <laughs> boobs? <laughs> <laughs> See, it's, but that's some social lyricism right there. It certainly does, yes. So, with Steve Perry, with lead singer Steve Perry now assuming a role as a rhythm guitarist, Kids on the Street predominantly features guitar-driven ska and punk, though also branches into such genres as Southern Rock with Luther Lane, Western Sing Swing with Silver Tongue Devil, and Jazz with Here Comes the Snake, which is a song about a penis. <laughs> Aha! <laughs> don't call it a comeback. That's Please right. Please don't. It's what you'll have later. Here comes the snake, yeah. Wants you to come, and he circles your leg. That's right. So, Perry... <laughs> it's a really good song, actually. Uh, so, Perry has stated... <laughs> yeah, it would be. Yeah. Uh, Perry has stated that the abundance of straightforward rock and punk songs on the album, in place of the, ecle the eclectic nature of the previous records, was partially due to his playing guitar on the album, as he described himself... Uh, as having limited guitar skills. And strings, as we've noted. Yeah, exactly. So distributed by noted indie label Caroline Records, Kids on the Street wound up becoming the daddy's most successful release at the time, staying on the Rockets' retail sales top 20 for over seven months and even working its way on to the Rolling Stones' alternative charts. Ooh. And with that, I conclude part one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, mother wow. of pearl! <laughs> I will mother say, of pearl. <laughs> I will say that the uh, the next two parts are shorter. Oh, but yes. <laughs> you don't say. Is, can I call bullshit on that one? Uh, no, they're longer. They're twice as long. Well, uh, four hour no, episode. No, they're shorter. Let's go. They're shorter. They're shorter. <laughs> oh, okay. 
There's a degree to which I didn't realize you would be editorializing when you were talking about the band's history, but, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, so you, uh, you did catch, uh, let's see, you caught the, One. uh, well, no, 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 there were several. Uh, yeah, so and you... also was the five for the entirety, like all three parts. No, the five was for part one. Oh, okay. Well, then, fabulous. You you did game plan. Kudos. I, mm-hmm. so I you, appreciate you, that. You caught uh, the episode 69, when in fact it was episode 80, so you caught the number lie. Woo! You caught the Peoria, Arizona. Oh, true. Yeah. And I believe that was uh, all you've caught. Not uh, shocking. Mm. Other than, <laughs> Easy you lays, know. Uh, layups. So, <laughs> <laughs> so any other stabs? Me. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I was going to call the crucifixion thing, but I feel like the the details that were later illustrated helped to kind of uh, alleviate that notion. But, and I think Michael actually did call the crucifixion as a lie as it was happening. So, no, not that he he was, he called something around then, but I don't think it was the crucifixion. No, okay. No. Yeah, I thought the daddies would be a good. Uh, thing to touch on because with you know such wild things like you know coming out on stage in a diaper which by the way wasn't mm-hmm. a lie if that was one of the stabs coming up uh, i wasn't and, shocked you know, nope. and putting chocolate syrup on yourself or riding around on a dildorado and with all the different names you know moto penis dildozer dildorado uh i thought there's just so much wild stuff happening here that could be bullshit mm-hmm. um like for instance uh one of those names could be a lie maybe it's just the dildozer and moto penis is in fact the lie Okay then, but it's not. If <laughs> I was going to so, say no, you're you're yeah. being too lo- like too blasé about it. No, 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 no. We're good. Yeah. So, a- any stabs before I? Uh, no, I think no. you have managed to overwhelm with with factoids. Uh, so a lot I, I, of factoids. Yeah, my my brain is is not going to have any sort of cohesive narrative that I can call back to. All right. Well, I will say that the next lie. I thought for sure was about to be called out because even the quote that I gave was a lie and you cited the correct source of the quote and the correct band in which plays the two and three string instruments. In fact, everything everything about that had nothing to do with the cherry pop and daddies and was all about the president of the United States of America. And I even quoted them directly. And when you name dropped them, I was like, oh, crap, he got it. It's the only band I've ever heard of that is, has pulled that. And again, I, without having spent, I have admitted that I am a, a neophyte here and I do know the song that everybody else knows with the cherry pop and daddies. So uh, without knowing the material, I do not know how complex it was, nor what would be required in order to run. And I was like, if it's predominantly like it's a ska band. So if you're playing pretty rudimentary bass lines and the horns are carrying a lot of it. It's like, you could get away with having limited strings, yeah. but it's, it seemed like a bizarre phrase. And yeah, the, the presidents are the only band I know that has ever done that. Yeah. And, and you were right on it. And I was like, Oh, he's, he's sniffing, but he's not saying lies. So I'm just going to yeah. keep moving on, which okay. is yeah. how, how <laughs> yeah. the game works. It's how exactly. the game works. Yep, yeah. Yep. But uh, yeah, well done. Well done in terms of knowing it. So, okay. So there's that. So that's uh, line number three there uh, coming up to fourth. Uh, so yes, ferociously stoned was in fact named after the Motorhead song that I mentioned. Okay. Uh, Rapid City Muscle Car being named after Motorhead's Overkill is a lie. Okay. So I figured that one might pass because I thought, well, if you called the lie on the first one because Motorhead is such a weird influence, that mm-hmm. would that was the truth. 
So I thought the second one could skate on by and it did. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, but again, I thought you were going to nail it because you were like, ah, that, that's when you stopped to reflect on it and like uh-huh. such a weird influence. And I was like, oh, he's there again. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I think also it's just, I am not the world's biggest devotee to Motorhead. So I, I don't have enough of a frame of reference to, to call that out as whether or not that's actually the case. Oh, no, for sure. And- it's just very funny because you happen to make comments right at both lies. My timing's and- impeccable. Mm hmm. I, I, I just think, can't find it. <laughs> I think also because like we're so used to things not being lies and that it's like purposely like the meta mm-hmm. of how we play lies have has changed so much that even when we have these like inklings of something being weird that you want to expound upon, uh, it, it just it doesn't click that. Oh, I should probably call bullshit on it um, because that happens. So I, I think that happens at least every time we do a lying episode. Uh, where there's some person that's like, I want to ask more about her. I want to talk more about this right around a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and as we've mentioned, I think Michael also is a great deal more attuned and adept at picking out lies because I'm mostly just you know looking for places where I can make a joke. So true, typically true. I am probably the most tone deaf to finding lies in the course of episodes because I'm over here chomping at the bit. I, uh, I I do take personal offense at the comparison of the dildozer to you know the description of detail in on somebody's beard. I was like, I'm talking about a motorized <laughs> dildo that ejaculates condiments and popcorn. I I just <laughs> like, I, I and when sequins. we and when sequins you, when you'd mentioned you know three parts and we have fallen into a pattern of recording <laughs> longer form again and then breaking it up i was like oh my god if we're just past their first album if this is the level of detail we're gonna get into like i'm not gonna be able to make it i might start screaming at you so well i, that- I had to pause and reflect on the dildozer only because yes. i had i had to go to the way back machine to get the details for that yeah. oh, and again okay. it, it's the the topic at that point was very interesting interesting i think it was more i was feeling this sort of vexation i felt mm-hmm. when we got to that section with michael i'm like fuck just get onto the story <laughs> i don't care what his facial hair configuration was <laughs> and so that's i was i think i was more vexed by like <laughs> we should have just got to the goddamn dildozer like two <laughs> two minutes into this conversation but uh, we were talking about the the unfortunate plight of the steel worker in america <laughs> well we did pause to reflect and go over some love we lyrics did. about boobs uh, yes and thank <laughs> and god for that speakers they are that's lovely right speakers and pastrami between them so oh, the last mommy. lie mommy pastrami <laughs> Ooh, mommy <laughs> there's a paul simon lyric for you <laughs> mommy pastrami rolled out of bed and she ran to the police station the last lie of the evening there uh was when i read through the lyrics of the song white man and said that uh, notably Bradley Knoll of fellow ska band Sublime fame lends vocals to the song. Okay. So Bradley Knoll of Sublime did not, in fact, have anything to do with that song. Not shocking. And that song, although is a Cherry Pop and Daddy song, and all of the lyrics I read are, in fact, the correct lyrics, they don't appear until their most recent album, not Rapid City Muscle Car from 94. Okay. So... A All lie right. on the placement of the kind of a, I, I counted it as one lie, but a lie on who guest stars for the song and a lie of when the song appears in their repertoire. Does anyone actually guest star on the song? Uh, no, just the band, just an original. Okay. okay. Well, how unfortunate for the song. Yeah, those are the five lies. <laughs> but uh, I, I guess 
if, if you're as uncomfortable as, as Michael is right now or have been in listening to this episode, that is par for the course. That's how we usually resolve this thing. But uh, thank you, as always, for hanging with us, <laughs> pun intended. It is immensely appreciated. And you can continue to plug it up with us every single wonderful Monday with new episodes. And you know how you do that? You subscribe to the show. It helps us out, and it helps you to stick with us. And I'm sure you're going to want to, because this it, I, all cock blockery and and you know busting aside, uh, very interesting episode. And it's oh, yeah. nice to get back on topic. So thank you for that. Uh, and of course, there is a link tree in the show notes below. You can find all of our irrelevant socials there, so you can follow us. And uh, be sure that you uh, rate and review because we would love to hear from you, and it helps us out with all of that algorithmic nonsense sense that michael is so fond of and so i think that is going to officially wrap this rascal up like a rubber that flew out of the moto penis and so for the disinformed dick cast this week plug it up i'm shane and i'm I'm michael Michael. and (laughs) zippity zoop we're out of here zippity zoop it's upper rear plug it up (laughs) plug Plug it it up. up